In this episode, I talk about my own experience with pericarditis and how I eventually broke free and healed from it by seeking answers outside of my doctors and outside of Western medicine. Hi, and welcome to Heal Into Balance with Jamie Cohen. My name is Jamie Cohen. I'm a holistic consultant based in Visalia, California, and I specialize in the Aboriginal Dreamtime Healing using holographic kinetics. It's a powerful healing modality, unlike anything else, that allows me to facilitate communication with the person's spirit so that the person can find the root cause of their issues, whether they were created in this life past lives or pass down the genetic lines so that they can make changes in order to make their lives better. Sharing about my history with pericarditis feels really daunting as I start off recording this episode about it. I've got to say that I dealt with this condition for so many years that Now that I'm past it, it's like I would love to just close the door on that chapter of my life and act like it never happened. But I know that on my journey of healing and self-discovery that other people sharing about their journey and things they found useful in it really helped me keep going at times when I just felt so lost. So today I make this episode for you, the listener, perhaps somebody who's going through this awful condition or you know somebody who is, and I hope to really be an inspiration today for you to keep going and to know that anything can be changed and nothing lasts forever. The name pericarditis comes from the part of the heart that it impacts, the pericardium. Now, itis is always going to signify to you in medical terms that a condition is inflammatory. There's inflammation of whatever part that it's referring back to. So in this case, pericarditis essentially signifies the inflammation of the outer lining of the heart, the pericardium. Now, the pericardium is a fiber sac that surrounds the entire heart, and it's made up of two layers. Now, in between those two layers is a small amount of fluid that helps it function properly by reducing friction as the heart beats. As with any inflammatory condition, there's a range of severity from mild to severe. Everyone's experience with pericarditis is going to be different depending on what the cause of the pericarditis is and also the amount of fluid that has built up in that pericardial sac. I started noticing some strange things happening when my son was about six months old. Now, I didn't give a lot of thought to it because honestly, prior to this, my only doctor had really been my OBGYN to have my son and I was used to just being healthy. I was used to having had a career of wildlife and field biology that I could just hike however far I wanted to hike. I could carry however heavy a backpack I needed to carry. I was just, you know, really used to being able to do whatever I wanted with my body without having much repercussion. So when I started noticing that after hikes, I was having pain when I would breathe in, I Didn't really think too much of it. I mean, I thought it was strange, but it was also in the winter here. And so the air was colder and, you know, I had had a baby. So, you know, you can make up all kinds of things as to why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. Like, hey, for all I know, this is what happens now that I have a baby. I'm just not in as good a shape as I was before, right? So I sort of just wrote things off and made up stories about what was actually going on with me. It was strange too, like 
went for a long hike at one point somewhere I had gone many times and while it was up at elevation and it was you know a mostly uphill climb I never had to stop and catch my breath on that hike until like I said these strange things started happening and I remember stopping and having to just sit down and catch my breath before continuing on so as time went on I ended up spiking a fever and kind of again I just sort of wrote it off I mean I sweated out that night, I woke up feeling better, and I just went about my day. You know how it is when you're a mom, I just, you know, I was home with my son all the time, and I didn't really have time or a choice to be sitting around or laying around or, you know, not just living my life and doing the things I needed to do. So I just kept going, and eventually the fevers came back. And I was noticing that I was having pain when I would eat. I was having pain like when the food would get partway down into my chest, I would feel pain. And they're like, okay, that's weird. And so then when the fevers came back this time, I ended up going to the local doctor to see, you know, what was going on. And I remember that she asked me if I usually have a high heart rate or fast heart rate. I had no idea. I literally at this point didn't really know my norms outside of pregnancy, what my vital signs usually were. I just, you know, why would I need to know that? I just didn't at that time. So she ended up, I guess, thinking that I might have pneumonia. So she gave me a pack, and she gave me an order for an x-ray as well. Although we lived about 45 minutes to the nearest hospital. And so she just kind of said, you know, if it gets worse, go and have this x-ray but for now I know you're home with the baby and that'll be kind of hard for you so just see how you do with this z-pack so I went home and I was taking the z-pack and I think you know I feel like I started to feel better but then I taken it all and I just started again feeling worse and I started having fevers again so I remember calling the office and not even thinking of the chest x-ray Honestly, I'd kind of forgot that she'd even given that to me at the time. And so I'd called the office and I said, hey, I finished my Z-Pack and I am just still not feeling good. The fevers are back and like something isn't right. And I remember the person who answered the phone just telling me that, you know, when did you finish the Z-Pack and to give it time to kick fully in. And I'm like, okay, well, that didn't really happen. I didn't really have time to let it kick in because on Thanksgiving of 2009, I ended up waking up in the morning. I felt really terrible. My son had been breastfeeding like a newborn, probably because I was like, I had something going on in my body and I'm sure my production was down. So He was needing to nurse a lot at night, and I was exhausted on this particular day to the point that I actually got up for a little while. I don't even think I ate anything because I felt so terrible that I got up, I fed him, I, you know, said hi to my husband and dogs, and I just went back to bed with my son, and we went and took a nap. Well, I ended up waking up from that nap feeling nauseous. Like, I woke up because I felt nauseous. And in true mom fashion, I made sure he was okay. And I put pillows on the side of the bed to make sure that if he did move while I was up, that he wouldn't fall out. And instead of going to the bathroom right there off of my bedroom, I actually left, went out, 
all the way across the living room, heading to the other bathroom, thinking that I needed to throw up. All because I didn't want to wake up my sleeping baby. So, I mean, I see it as divine now because being that it was Thanksgiving, my now ex-husband was home from work that day and he was sitting out in the living room and I remember telling him that I felt nauseous as I walked across to go to the bathroom and the next thing I knew, I started to just stumble around, grabbing onto the walls, trying to catch myself. At this point, I passed out. I mean, I know that now. At the time, I didn't know what was going on. And I woke up to my husband screaming my name, and he was on the phone with the 911 operator. And I just didn't know what to think. I woke up. I'm on the floor in the living room, on my back. And yeah, so they ended up sending an ambulance but it took quite a while to get to us because of where we live so it was just kind of a waiting game um i guess it was a good thing because if you get taken to the hospital in an ambulance you kind of get first dibs on getting seen so that was good so i it was a very painful ride because at this point when i was laying flat on my back i was having chest pain and I go to the hospital. They weren't letting visitors in because it was during flu season. So I was literally in there by myself. Um, my husband and baby weren't allowed in at first. And so I'm just in there talking to doctors, having procedures done. They took me for a chest x-ray. Initially, the doctor came in and talked to me about the fact that my heart appeared to be enlarged. And he thought that it was probably be, probably from having a baby I guess that's a thing that can happen and so you know I'm thinking what the heck so I'm just like relaying this stuff via phone out to my husband who's with our baby and I'm thinking he needs to eat like <laughs> I've been exclusively breastfeeding up to this point and I was really concerned about him so I'm just laying in this hospital waiting to hear answers and like what can be done about this you know so as time went on, they had me have an echocardiogram, which is like an ultrasound of your heart, and they ended up finding a lot of fluid around my heart. From this point, they then decided that that fluid was going to need to be removed given the way that it was impacting my vital signs, and I essentially was slated to then have a pericardial window procedure done the following morning. Now, they moved me to the step-down ICU so that I could be monitored all night very closely because they were, they were concerned about me. And I'll just stop here to say that, you know, at this time, I had no idea what was going on. I had never been in the hospital other than to have my son, never had heart issues, never had anything going on with me. So it was a really scary experience and... I didn't really know what to think, quite frankly. So as it turns out, I ended up having a large amount of fluid around my heart. And when you have a lot of fluid around your heart, it really stops your heart from being able to properly function. And you can have experiences, symptoms such as shortness of breath, dizziness, nausea, low blood pressure, and chest pain. And for me, I was having near cardiac failure. I actually went into cardiac tamponade, which happens when the space around the heart fills with blood or other fluid, and it puts pressure on the heart. 
because of that pressure, your heart can't beat correctly, which causes a drop in blood pressure. If not treated, it's always fatal because that compression of the heart from the pericardial effusion, which is what it's called when you have a buildup of fluid in that pericardium sac, basically leads to there not being enough blood pumped into your heart or to the rest of your body, which means that your your heart and your body's lacking the oxygen that it needs. And this can happen gradually or can happen really suddenly. It's really dependent on the cause and the person. So the lack of blood to the heart and to the rest of the body can eventually cause things like shock, organ failure, and cardiac arrest. At this point, you know, my heart was starting to fail. And they put me on this step-down ICU. So I had one nurse and I think she had two patients to watch that night. My now ex-husband had to go home with my son and buy formula and hope that he would take a bottle. Luckily he did, but that night I ended up passing out, I think about three more times. And each time my nurse said that it was a pretty scary sight and that she felt bad for my husband because Every time it's like I looked like I died. She said my eyes would roll back in my head. And on a few occasions that night, I actually woke up with an Ambu bag on my face with a ton of people around my bed. The crash cart was at my bed all night. And, you know, from my time now as a registered nurse, after this time, I now see that, you know, I'm sure code blue was called on me during those times where my vital signs were just really dropping off and you know, the nurse was concerned that my heart was going to fail. So this kept happening. And right before I would pass out, every time I would get nauseous. And that's how I I would know that I'm going to pass out. And by this time of having it happen a few times and, and feeling that pattern, I would get so scared. And I remember just yelling for my nurse um, when I would feel nauseous because I knew I was going to pass out. So as you can imagine... That was like the scariest night of my life. I really didn't know what to think of it. I mean, I was so in it and just struggling to do anything. At one point, you know, they were getting me up to use the bathroom and I would just get into these coughing fits and they would have to sort of assist me and I would just cough and cough and cough and have a hard time catching my breath and, you know before you have a surgical procedure like you have to shower usually and to reduce like the microbes on your body so that you're not you know as prone to getting an infection following your surgery and you know they came in to help assist me take a shower and I had to just tell them that there was no way that I could get up out of bed anymore like it was way too much and that was one of the hardest things because you know, it was really hard to admit that I couldn't get up and no one really wants a bed bath by other people. It's just, it doesn't feel good. It feels very uh, vulnerable, but I had to give up that control because my body, I mean, I could just feel that I couldn't take that, that I just couldn't do it. And so anyway, I got the bed bath and I just remember, you know, calling a friend and I think I left a message on his voicemail because I, it started really dawning on me the gravity of the situation. Like, 
you know, here I am, I'm just so concerned about my baby and I'm just feeling so alone in this hospital and just completely blindsided by this whole thing because I, it's, you know, like I said, I had had good health. I never had any health problems up until this point. So it all just like hit me out of nowhere. Like what is going on? And I never heard of like pericarditis before. I never heard of any of these terms they were using. I wasn't a nurse at this time. And so I really was just at the mercy of the nurses and the doctor and the cardiac surgeon. Like otherwise I it's not like I had access at this time. I didn't have a phone that allowed me to get on the internet. There was no Google searching any of this stuff. I literally was at the mercy of whatever information they were telling me. So At any rate, I remember calling my friend and leaving a voice message and I think it really struck him because I think, you know, I just was like, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm in the hospital. Like I have fluid around my heart. I've passed out multiple times. Like I just, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, they're talking about cardiac failure and all these things and I'm basically said goodbye. After passing out, I think about three more times that night They finally had the cardiac surgeon come in to perform the pericardial window early. Now, as far as like the pericardial window goes, that's just one method for draining the fluid. And it's essentially where they, for me, they went in between ribs to get to my heart and they made a little window in my pericardium to allow the fluid to drain. They were also then able to take that sample of the pericardium and ship it off to be tested for things like cancer um, and to see, you know, what is the cause. This way they could get their eyes on it all and see what was going on, see if there was cancer. In my case, there wasn't. And so essentially the doctors came back with idiopathic pericarditis idiopathic in medical terms is just a fancy way to say I don't know it's like they have no idea what caused it they you know could speculate that maybe I caught some virus so here I am I ended up getting this pericardial window and having the fluid drained and I had about 450 milliliters of fluid drained from around my heart which is about the size of like a coke can So you can imagine, I'm actually really small in stature, I'm petite, and so, you know, having that much fluid around my heart was a pretty big deal. I woke up from surgery the next day in so much pain because my doctor didn't want to give me too much pain medicines as she was still not convinced that that was what was causing my near cardiac failure. (laughs) Anyway, that's a whole other story. After the procedure, I ended up spending several more nights in the hospital, first in the CVICU, which is like the cardiac ICU, and then I got moved to the cardiac floor, which is where people go after they have like open heart surgeries um, before they go home. So I spent several more nights in the hospital, and through that time, you know, I'm having doctors come in, you know, my husband at the time, he's trying to look up as much as he can on this topic um, you know, seeing like what he could find about it. We're both just at a loss as to like how this could just happen like that. And essentially 
just a side note, it was during this time that I started questioning my nurses to see why they got into nursing, if they like nursing, you know, if they would recommend it, what did they do, like, did they get an associate's, did they get a bachelor's, where did they go to school, you know, was there any advice they could give me, and all of these things, because I had just really had this awful experience, but I had some really great nurses who helped just ease my fear and make it a lot better. And I also had some nurses who didn't do that, who weren't very good at their jobs. And I was sure that I could be better than they were, that I could do a better job at easing people's fear. And, you know, yeah, during times like that. So I was like collecting information while I was in the hospital recovering about becoming a nurse. So at any rate, I get home, I have follow-ups with my cardiologist, and you know, naively now looking back, when he told me that the chance for recurrence of pericarditis was about 10%, I took that 90% and ran with it and thought, I'm going to be one of the 90%, you know, this is a wake-up call, I need to get my act together and figure out what I want to do with my life because you know, life is precious. I don't know how much time I have left. Like I need to fully live this life and make a go of this and, you know, do something worthwhile with my life. And so that's where I went with it, right? Not even thinking about the fact that 10% is one in every 10 people will have a recurrence or 10 out of a hundred will have a recurrence. I just ran with the 90% and thought, this is behind me. I just need to heal from this procedure now and focus on, you know, living a more fulfilling life and really taking full advantage of this life that I've been given. So about four weeks after having this procedure, I was up in the giant forest in Sequoia National Park, cross-country skiing with my family and feeling really good, actually. I you know, was healing quickly. I think given the fact that I'd never had any health issues before and I was young, I, and I was so determined (laughs) that, you know, things started to just feel like I was in the up and up. I was really excited and I felt like I had a new lease on life. I felt like I was basically being given a second chance at life and I took it and just ran with it. I was discharged from the hospital in early December and given prednisone and colchicine, two medications that to this day, if you go and visit the pericarditis support groups on Facebook, you'll hear patients still being given those things to help, you know, basically lower the inflammation in the body. Now, the prednisone for me gave me so many side effects one of which was insomnia. I actually went home and used this insomnia to my advantage and was using that time to stay up at night and research the registered nursing program at a local community college. I was at this time before I had my son, I had been working in the national park and knew of a few people who had done this and left the park system and had gone back to school and had gotten their associates at this particular community college. So I was also contacting one of them about the process. I was looking into what prerequisites I was going to have to still take 
that I hadn't taken as an undergrad to get into the nursing program and I was finding ways to get on the wait list for these classes because many of them were already filled and like that's what I was doing with my time I'm like healing and taking care of my baby as best as I could and researching to go back to school to become a nurse so it's kind of wild when I think back to it now because I'm just like all through this time, I look back at myself in awe. Like, how was I even managing to keep myself together? Like, how was I even doing all of that? It just seems so mind-blowing from where I'm at now that I just kept going, but also that I had such a resolve to take it even further by, you know, adding school to my schedule at a time when I really needed to just slow down and heal. At any rate, everything I believe is divine in its timing. And so there was an immense amount of healing that I gained once I became a nurse. And I actually got to meet the team that had been in the operating room with me during my heart surgery. I literally got to, during nursing school, stand in on an open heart procedure and watch the entire thing from right near the cardiac surgeon. And I got to thank the whole team of people who remembered me after I mentioned having a baby and being in there young, they all remembered me because it's not too many cardiac patients they see that were, you know, in their 20s like that with a baby. So I got to thank them personally. And that felt really good. From there, I got to literally through my nursing career, work on all the floors where I had been as a patient, including I got to even thank the nurse who took care of me in the step-down ICU. I just really depended on her, and I'm really thankful for her and her, you know, care and compassion with me that night. And I really got to then also experience other areas of the hospital. I had been a patient, you know, where I had had my C-section and the procedure for that. So I really got to heal that whole experience because in retrospect, I could see what was happening during that time and I could see why my baby was taken from me for so long and why I didn't get to see him or hold him for so long. And it gave me a different perspective. So, you know, becoming a nurse was kind of twofold. I did end up getting to help a lot of people who found themselves scared in the hospital. And I really loved getting to be there for people in that way in the, in some of their most vulnerable times. And I really prided myself on making sure that my patients always had the information. Like I would see gaps in where, in emergency situations, for example, information wasn't being communicated to the patient or to their spouse or family and I took it upon myself to make sure that I was explaining to them albeit quickly at times as things were going kind of crazy and they were being loaded onto a gurney to get wheeled out of there I would just tell the mom like hey this is what's going on this is why and then I would go and once she was gone I would just take time with the spouse or with the family member and explain what was going on to ease their mind because I know what it's like when things hit the fan and you're a patient in the hospital you just don't know what's happening and it's really extra scary because of that so I really used my experience as the patient to then help my patients in the hospital including you know I 
sat in on many C-sections during my training um, on the maternal child floors. And, you know, I was able to talk to the parents and the mom and tell them what was going on and tell them what to expect so that when their baby was taken and they didn't get to hold them or see them right away, that they knew exactly why. And so hopefully, you know, could prevent them from feeling traumatized by that because they didn't know what was happening. So I, you know, I'm really happy because I got to use my experiences in that way. And I know that I made a difference. And, you know, I saw in the hospital the difference between nurses who were there to earn a paycheck and nurses who were there to really make a difference. And not only is it felt by other nurses like me, it's also felt by all the staff and it's felt by all of the patients. You can very much tell when someone is in something for the money or when they're in it because they're really truly there to help other people. So out of all of this, we're now, let's get beyond kind of the acute stage of healing and move to where I was just having recurrent bouts of pericarditis. I landed in the hospital again that following February with more fluid around my heart. It started at home as just like throwing up. We were weaning down on my prednisone. So once I would drop to a certain milligram dosage, I would end up having a flare of the pericarditis. It was like I couldn't get off the prednisone. And this went on for years. But this particular time, I got really scared because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want it to get as bad as it was last time. I don't want to get another chest tube in, you know, following another procedure. Like, I had a lot of trauma from that experience of having the chest tube and have it be taken out and being able to feel all of that after my surgery. So I was really, like, terrified of this happening again. So when I started, you know becoming nauseous and vomiting at home, I ended up calling my cardiologist and he had me go to the hospital. So for that first time, I mean, that was when I was now in prerequisite classes for nursing school and I was at home taking care of my son when I wasn't in class. And so here I am in the hospital again and, you know, they're telling me they're going to do an ultrasound, but it's taking the technician forever to come and make rounds on me and actually do it. And I started just kind of like, hey, I have to get out of here. I have things to do. Like, you guys need to speed this along. And you need to look at this to see, you know, do I have more fluid? How much fluid? What are we going to have to do about it? And that was the last time that I sat in the hospital waiting for things to happen. From there, I literally just started as I was getting weaned down on the prednisone to ultimately taper off and come off of it completely, I kept having the same thing happen. I would wean down to say about seven milligrams from 40, which is what I would get discharged on from the hospital, and I would end up with another recurrence of pericarditis. It would always start out really slight, but I started being so aware of my body that even the slightest chest pain I could actually feel, and it never failed that when I would feel that, the next day I would wake up and I'd be in full-blown 
chest pain. So essentially in these moments, what I started doing was just increasing my prednisone again. I'd have to just increase it and then I would, you know, make an appointment with my cardiologist again to talk to them about it and to check everything and they do labs. And now, you know, when I first went into the hospital, my markers for inflammation, the labs for inf inflammation were through the roof. My CRP was in the 200, which is like way, way, way above the normal range. And in fact, every time I would see my pair, my pericarditis, every time I would see my cardiologist out in public, he would actually make mention of how high my CRP had been and my SED rate had been because he had never had anyone have such high numbers and he'd always be so glad to see me out and like, you know, doing relatively well given the situation I had been through. So anyway, that all being said, I started just upping the amounts of prednisone. So it's like I would wean down, I'd have the flare of pericarditis and I'd have to go back up on the prednisone. And I don't even know how many times I did this in total because this was years in the making. I mean, I literally did this for years and there was never any real rhyme or reason. I mean, sometimes I would have a flare when I wouldn't even get to seven milligrams. Sometimes I'd get to five and be okay until I got to five. Sometimes I would only get to 10 and I would have a flare. There was like no rhyme or reason it felt like as to why I would just flare up with this. You know, sometimes it started making me kind of feel crazy because say I took a walk out in the cold, you know, and I actually exerted myself physically and then I would get, you know, the next day I would have like chest pain. Then I'm like equating taking a walk with the chest pain. And so then I'm worried to exert myself physically or, you know, at one point I actually went to a chiropractor and, you know, I was having like some issues with my back and had told that told him about the pericarditis you know as part of my history and he did this thing where he like was behind me and he lifted me up off the ground to like crack my back and the next day I ended up with chest pain and you know it's like everything started to feel like a cause for the recurrence like and and at the same time it felt like I wasn't really doing anything that drastic to really cause it. So it just made me just kind of like not be able to live my life because I was constantly afraid that it was going to come back. And, you know, this went on and on and on. So from, you know, November of 2009, when this first happened, I didn't actually get to anyone that had real answers for me until June of 2012. So for all those years in between those two times, I was literally just having this chest pain on and off, no rhyme or reason, and yeah. So I actually, during this time, I mean, my will to live was stronger than my trust in Western medicine. I had gone to a college that, you know, had pretty open ideas about things and I had been introduced to, you know, herbal therapies and just different ways of thinking and viewing the world. And on top of that, you know, I was never too keen on going to the doctor. Um, at any rate, I was open-minded to things. And, you know, at this point, my doctor still 
didn't have answers for me. And, you know, my cardiologist referred me to a rheumatologist in hopes that, you know, maybe he could get me off the prednisone. And so in that time, you know, he put me on methotrexate injections where I had to inject myself with this chemotherapy drug every day and <laughs> trying to get off the prednisone because it was just like I was I was like stuck on this stuff. It's like every time I tried to go off of it, I would have a reoccurrence. So here I am now taking methotrexate. I was also on medications for the side effects of prednisone because, you know, really it can mess with the calcium in your bones. So I had to be on calcium. Um, it can cause issues with yeast. So I had to be on nystatin. You know, there were issues with like stomach acid and acid reflux. So then I'm on like a medication for that. I mean, it was just getting ridiculous. And in all of this too, I was also put on an antidepressant because as you can imagine, this was a lot. This was just a lot to take. And I had already had a history of depression. And this was just like, really, it felt like too much for any human to bear. It was just like, I was juggling all these things, trying to be a good wife, trying to be the best mom I could be. I'm in nursing school, trying to make a go of that while going to all of these cardiologist appointments and doctor's appointments, specialist appointments. In this time, I was also referred for a second opinion at Stanford here in California. And, you know, I saw cardiologists there and really they didn't have any answers that my local cardiologist wasn't already doing. Their only go-tos were prednisone and colchicine and ibuprofen to help combat the inflammation. I mean, beyond that, they really had no answers. They just said, again, it was idiopathic, which is fancy for we don't know. And I was sent on my way from that. I I wasn't very happy with this, okay? Because for me, I'm like, something is wrong here. Like, they're telling me that my body is attacking itself. That just doesn't make sense to me. It never resonated. And I was really just bent on getting answers. Like, so I was researching a ton on my own. I found this online support group for people with pericarditis and ended up becoming like a moderator of that group where I would be the one to welcome people in and, you know, kind of share resources with them. And so I'm just like trying to find all the information that I possibly could. I actually connected with a few women during that time and we kept in touch for many years later. In fact, Aside from getting off social media this past summer, we were still connected through social media. So, you know, all of this is going on and I am looking for answers and I am looking into other things that could potentially help me. So I get guided to IV hydrogen peroxide therapy and I found a doctor 45 minutes from me in this small town that had had success treating somebody else with pericarditis. And so I went with it and was like, hey, it's worth a shot. So I was literally going to him and he was giving me B12 injections and he was giving me these IV hydrogen peroxide treatments and also dexamethasone. So in the process, I realized like that's a, that's a steroid as well. I mean, it's similar to prednisone, but at any rate... After having about 55 of these IVs over the course of maybe September to May, I 
had felt like a lot of improvement. I had gotten off the prednisone. I had stopped taking the methotrexate. So in some sense, it did help me get off of the prednisone, which was great. And in this time too, I mean, when you're sitting in there having these IVs, it's similar to movies that you see where people are sitting in these like black recliners getting chemotherapy. Like we're all hooked up to these IVs and you know, sometimes I would talk, sometimes I would study for my nursing school tests and exams. Sometimes I would just sleep, you know, by the end of it, I was sleeping a lot. And only in hindsight, do I now see what was going on? Because through this process, I actually talked to a woman who had a nurse practitioner that she just loved. And she told me that I should go to her. And so I made an appointment with her. And through a five minute appointment with this woman, she had honed in on the fact that I likely had Lyme disease. So, you know, it's funny how things work out and how you get guided to what you need in any given moment and how when you're looking for answers and you're asking for clarity and for answers that you are always given them, it just comes in ways that you weren't expecting or you can't make up or predict. So I end up in her office and she, you know, asks me a series of questions and then talks about Lyme disease. And I said, well, they tested me for Lyme disease when I was first in the hospital and they said it was negative. And she goes, well, the test for Lyme disease isn't very good. And it's more of a clinical diagnosis than anything else. Like technically we're not even supposed to be basing it on the you know, blood tests, we're supposed to be basing on just a clinical diagnosis. And most doctors don't know what to look for and don't realize how um, inaccurate these tests are. So I'm just like, what? And the things she asked me about, funny enough, are things that I had noticed about myself um, years prior. And, you know, my husband back at that time even had thought at one point, which he told me in all of this that I was like a hypochondriac, but it was just that I was noticing little things about my body showing up that hadn't always been there. And here's this nurse practitioner now asking me about these little things that I noticed that everybody else blew me off about. And she's like, you need to get tested again. And, you know, I know a specialist, you know, in San Francisco and, yada yada so I'm like blown away I mean I've been to all of these specialists nobody has answers for me I was even telling them things like hey I'm noticing patterns you know I notice flares around my period I notice flares around like my birthday and Christmas which was like really weird but it would happen a lot or like around Thanksgiving you know, on my own, I kind of made sense of that by often like in life, we're just like, go, 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 right? We do what we need to do in order to live and survive and do all the things that are expected of us as a wife, as a mother, as a student. And I think in those times, like around those, you know, like around my birthday, it would probably be just after a semester ended around Thanksgiving usually you have a break from school for that and for Christmas you have like a Christmas break and it was almost as if in those times of break I could I just could fully relax and allow myself maybe to actually be sick 
because in the other times I just felt like I had to just keep pushing myself to just get through and to accomplish all the things that I was trying to accomplish at that time. And so anyway, I just kept noticing all these patterns and all of my doctors were blowing me off. And when I told this nurse practitioner those things, because of her history of treating Lyme disease, she actually, you know, could could sort of like validate everything that I was experiencing and the fact that, yeah, it's it can be common to have flares and around periods and, you know, Lyme disease, there's like this life cycle of when it's most active and it's and it's like reproduction and all of this stuff so I'm like oh my gosh I go home I start researching Lyme disease instead of just researching pericarditis and I'm like literally blown away by what I find out I mean everything is syncing up with my experience so I go on from here I have a bunch of tests run um, from a lab, an Igenix lab in California. It's one of two in the world that's like actually has accurate testing for Lyme. The other one is, I believe, in Germany. And so if you don't get tested with this lab, the other labs are just mostly crap. Although I later found out that I did have a band present that is definitely conclusive for Lyme disease. It's not, you know, if you have that band and they tell you you're negative, it's like you still probably have Lyme. So when they had said I was negative, I mean, yeah, I didn't have the six bands that the CDC wants you to have as positive, but I did have band 41, which is pretty indicative and unique for being Lyme disease. So I go and I get tested and I end up having these test results come back. I was seeing a Lyme specialist at this point and she was the one who read the results and ordered them and all of that. And I tested positive for Rocky Mountain spotted fever. I tested positive for like typhus fever for Lyme disease. Um, and she also thought I had Bartonella, which is cat scratch fever. And she thought I may have Babesia or my nurse practitioner later thought that I did. So yeah, see what I mean? There's a lot to this. So let's move on. I go, you know, I'm, I'm going to a specialist now. I'm getting more answers. She has me on loads of supplements she put me on antibiotics and I literally stayed on antibiotics for about three years, oral antibiotics. Initially, they thought because of the heart and brain involvement that I had that I would need to have IV antibiotics, but for whatever reason, they started me on orals and they left me on them for quite a while, the same ones, and by this time, you know... Let's see, now we're going to fast forward to summer of 2015. I've been on these antibiotics for like three years, over three years when this happened. And I started having like yeast infections and issues like that from all the antibiotics. So I had to go off of them. Now, earlier in 2015, I started going and seeing a homeopath who was local to me. And she put me on a daily remedy. I was pretty skeptical of the whole thing, honestly, because she was talking about how she liked to get her patients off of as many medications as possible. And at that time, I was very in my world of pericarditis and Lyme and all these things. And I'm thinking, well, that sounds great, but it's like I need the antibiotics because I have this infection that's being treated, right? 
So I was really skeptical that she was going to get me off medications, but I started taking the homeopathy early in 2015. And by August of 2015, I had to go off the antibiotics temporarily so I could start taking another medication for yeast infection. I'm telling you, the things that I went through during this time are just, it's its a whole thing in itself. But I went off of the antibiotics and this was the first time where here I am, I'm working as a nurse. I started working as a nurse full-time in the hospital starting in about March of 2013. So by this time, I'm over two years in the hospital working full-time. On my days off, I have my son full-time because also during this time, I got a divorce and became a single parent and so I'm you know a single mom on my days off I go to the hospital I work three days in a row on the weekend so that I could have some semblance of a normal schedule so my son could have a a steady schedule and I'm doing it right I'm like feel pretty good that I could do all this stuff and I'm like making it happen um yeah and so I go off the antibiotics and what I was really surprised about was usually if I would go off of them within a few days, I would have chest pain come back. And this time that didn't happen. And during this time, I was also learning like all these mindfulness techniques. I was realizing how much our thoughts impact our reality. I was realizing all these negative things that I was always saying to myself And I was shifting all of that at the same time as starting the homeopathy. I'd gone to all these IV hydrogen peroxide treatments. You know, my specialist had said that she thinks that actually helped me to reduce the load of Lyme disease in my body and other infections. And But she said the reason why I had gotten so tired by the end was because essentially when Lyme dies, it creates a neurotoxin. Um, and I wasn't at that time taking any kind of binders for it. So I was literally having all these neurotoxins, you know, dumped into my body by the dying Lyme and it was making me just exhausted. It was affecting my memory. I was noticing that I couldn't recall test questions after taking a test in nursing school. So I'm talking to students after a test and we're talking about the answers and the questions we had. Earlier in my nursing school career, I could easily recall questions I had or ones I didn't know the answers to. By this time, I couldn't even do that. So I definitely felt it affecting my memory. I felt it, you know, I I felt like I had chronic fatigue. I was tired all the time. I would, you know, by the end of doing the IV hydrogen peroxide before I started going to the Lyme specialist, I was just sleeping through my entire treatment. I wasn't even talking to people anymore. I wasn't trying to study. I was just sleeping through the entire thing because I was just that tired. So here I am then in August of 2015 and I am like astounded that I'm not getting chest pain. And because of everything and because the homeopathy remedy, I really started questioning things like, okay, well, why am I sick, you know? Am I sick because I've been told I have all these infections or am I sick based on how I feel? Like if it's based on how I feel, like I'm feeling really good and I'm able to be a nurse full time and then have another full time job with my child at home on my days off. Like I'm actually killing it right now. You know, it's like so I just from then on. The the chest pain never came. 
I didn't go back on any of those medications. I actually canceled my next specialist appointment because I just knew basically I was going to go in, pay the six or $700 out of pocket to essentially tell her that, hey, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not taking these medications anymore. Like, I'm just going to go with it and see what happens. And so I stopped going and I just deemed myself cured because I, at this point, knew the power of my own mind. And I just deemed myself cured. I stopped talking about having Lyme disease. I stopped talking about doctor's appointments to people. I literally just started living my life. And I swi- I like flipped a switch where, you know, I stopped saying I had it. If I ever even said anything about it, I said that I, I had it like in the past. I would talk only in past terms uh, about it. And I literally just stayed on the homeopathy and and then you know what I was getting guided to other things. During this time I got introduced to essential oils that a family I'd gone to for my optometry care had researched extensively and if you're interested in knowing more about that in terms of fighting bacterial and viral infections has been known to really help a lot of people and it's called Be Young is the company. And if you look up their immune pack, it has most of what I used, which was Defense, Spice of Life, Guardian, and I also used their L-Form oil, which now appears to be in an L-Form pack, which has the Defense, Spice of Life, Guardian, and what they call now is Boost. And I'm kind of guessing that Boost is now the L-Form. At any rate, all of these things basically helped me get better and better and better. I definitely noticed big improvements in my exhaustion with using those oils. And like I said, with the homeopathy, I mean, I was able to get off those other medications. So that also was helping me connect a lot of dots and get like mentally more clear. And like I said, the IV hydrogen peroxide, it kind of got the load down to where at least like um, I wasn't quite as sick but it created a whole other issue of the neurotoxins so at any rate over time then I think my last flare of pericarditis happened in November of 2013 and this came after a lot of stress because I ended up moving out of a house into an apartment pretty much by myself. I had a couple guys help me move big things with one U-Haul trip. And then from there, I actually packed everything else, loaded the U-Haul, unloaded the U-Haul, took the U-Haul back and made a trip across country flying with my son to go see family right after that happened. So I essentially ran myself into the ground because Through all of that time, I was still working as a nurse. I was taking care of my son, and now I added moving and travel to my list, and it was just way too much. It was just way too much. So, but that was the last flare that I had. And, you know, from there, like I've become really aware of a lot of different things. So, through this time, I mean, I was just basically getting divinely guided to various things people and things that could help me books you know and it was because I'd hit a low point in all of this 
following my divorce and I'm juggling all of these things and dealing with these appointments, you know, in San Francisco with the specialist and just taking all these medications all the time. I mean, it was just a lot to handle. And I hit a point where I just literally was like, there has got to be a better way to live than this. And I feel like once I said that, my spirit just lined up everything to get me better than what I'd been experiencing. And I just started following it. I mean, the homeopathy landed on my lap. And in fact, the person who was my homeopath, she was the one who had seen me at the doctor's office back when I first had my fevers and my symptoms. Uh, She had been working as a physician's assistant at that point in the town where I was living. And, And so things sort of came full circle with her. Um, And she helped me out of some really dark places by assisting me with homeopathy and, you know, creating a group with some other women to help us shift our lives in simple ways. So I got, you know, taught about meditation during that time. All these things are connecting, right? And in all of this, like, I'm also realizing like the power of my thoughts the power of identifying with an illness. You know, when we start calling ourselves the illness, like a lot of people will call themselves limies, for instance, when you identify yourself as your illness, you're essentially saying that it can't be changed. You're claiming it as part of you and, you know, that it's just who you are as a person. And for me, I started becoming really aware of the ways in which I was really identifying with my illness and how much I actually spent, you know, how much time I actually spent talking about it and thinking about it. And now part of that is because I was on all these medications. I had all these doctor's appointments. I mean, how can you not think about it, right? But once I shifted my perspective and thought, you know what? I'm only sick because they tell me I'm sick because right now I'm able to be a full-time nurse and a full-time mom and I'm doing great and I feel good. I'm able to hike again. I mean, I started realizing I could do that in the summer of 2016. I guess that spring I ran my first 5K, which was barely a jog, but I still jogged the entire 5K. And that was really the beginning of me getting my health back and taking control back of my body, of my life. And from there, I started going on hikes, like solo hikes, which I hadn't really done before. And I was really pushing my body and seeing what I was capable of. And with each hike, I would just cry looking at the scenery, you know, getting to these viewpoints where you could look down out of the mountains, down into the valleys below, and I would just cry because I felt so grateful to get my health back. I mean, literally, I've been given, you know, I don't know how many chances again at at this life because it just feels like I'm constantly sort of reinventing myself and realizing new things and having more self-awareness that allows me to look back on all of this with such a different perspective. And you know, for me, all of these things that I've mentioned helped me heal from pericarditis. And one of the things too, was that I started detoxing heavy metals from my body because there's a correlation between Lyme disease and 
you know, heavy metal toxicity, especially especially with mercury. So you might want to look into that. I found that advanced TRS um, really helped me. And I would say Chris Kirchhoff, forget how to, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he and his wife, they have a group about advanced TRS on Facebook that you could find. They sell it, they're distributors, and he posts so much information about these things and various testimonials from people who have, you know, used that product to help rid their body of these heavy metals. And I know for me, I found you know, it boosted my energy. It helped me with the exhaustion and fatigue. And so I would definitely look into that. So all this being said, okay, I've now come across, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, the Aboriginal Dreamtime Healing using holographic kinetics. So at one point, you know, after I hadn't had any more flares of pericarditis, because I found Dreamtime Healing using holographic kinetics in at the end of 2018. So I leapt out of my nursing career in 2018. And you can listen to that, my leap of faith out of nursing. That's my first podcast episode here. And, you know, I ended up finding holographic kinetics and training in it in May of 2019. So you know, I found it once I had already been free of symptoms of pericarditis, but I still had a session for it. And it was really fascinating, you know, what came up during that session. And that was something that, you know, the pericarditis specifically had been carried through from a past life, from experiences I had that had impacted my heart in that life. In fact, I had had a heart attack in that life. So, you know, as far as root causes of things, I think very differently about things than what most people do. So we identify so often with this physical body and we can sort of sometimes even trace like what caused our pericarditis, right? There's a lot more things that cause it than Lyme disease. Um, I know that, you know, all of the forums, the support groups for pericarditis really blew up in the last few years um, because of a certain thing that people are choosing to take. And so, you know, there can be like a lot of physical causes. Even people have had, you know, heart surgeries or blunt force trauma to the chest uh, stab wounds, gunshot wounds to the chest, things like that can lead to pericarditis as well. So you could definitely make a case for there being a physical cause for these things. You know, even for me with, you know, my doctors thinking that it was the Lyme, but mostly the Bartonella that had led to the stuff with my heart, you know, my nurse practitioner that I went to, by the way, had told me at one point that everyone that she saw with pericarditis usually ended up having Lyme disease. So just putting it out there back, you know, before I found um, holographic kinetics, I would definitely point people in that direction to just, hey, go and get yourself tested by this hygienics lab and just see where you stand because, you know, you may have some underlying thing. A lot of people who get pericarditis back when I was getting it, back before these last several years anyway, it was like very healthy people, people that were used to being outside and hiking and running and, you know, running triathlons and marathons and all of these things that hadn't previously had any health problems, 
problems and then all of a sudden found themselves with pericarditis and they couldn't shake it, you know? And so what I was finding in the support groups that I found really disheartening is that the people showing up are still talking about the same treatments that the doctors had when I had it back in 2009 and we're all the way now in 2023 and people are still being given prednisone and colchicine and ibuprofen uh, things like methotrexate now there are some other immune suppressant drugs that they have added I have noticed some new names of things that I wasn't familiar with I had to look them up but Generally speaking, they're still telling people, oh, it's just idiopathic, it's an overactive immune system, you know, and all of these things, when in fact, look at me, it wasn't an overactive immune system, my immune system was, in, was fighting something that was very real, several somethings that were very real as far as infections go, and so, you know, ultimately those infections had a heyday when I'm then feeding my body these immune suppressant drugs, which prednisone is one, methotrexate is one, and they're just able to then reproduce unchecked by my immune system. So that's kind of like the worst nightmare for treating Lyme disease is is being put on these immune suppressants because when you do that, you're just going to create more problems by having the infection, whatever's present in your body, just proliferate, (laughs) proliferate. So, you know, that's something to think about. But, you know, as far as my session goes, and my sessions in general, it has showed me that our, the cause for things that we are experiencing go way deeper than this physical reality. And, you know, it to me is always worth going and having a session, especially when you realize, you know, if you're someone who's experiencing pericarditis, then you know how awful it feels when you go from having your health to just being flat out, not being able to do anything, but not getting answers from your doctor. You're having this chest pain. I mean, it's your heart. So that's scary, right? To have something that's affecting your heart just feels scary. It can just be daunting. It can all just be really overwhelming. And so I would just encourage anyone listening to this to seriously, if you're open-minded, because it really does take you being open-minded, to go and have a Dreamtime Healing using Holographic Kinetic Session. That is where I personally would start if I had to do this all over again, because that would have taken me to the root cause. And who knows how much I could have shifted just by changing things at the root cause. For all I know, I wouldn't have needed all those years of antibiotics, which then led to you know, yeast overgrowth that I still deal with to this day. I don't know what the difference would have been, but that would be my starting point because, you know, a session of holographic kinetics might set you back a couple hundred dollars, but it's literally could help you shift everything and you're not adding drugs to your system that then have other effects, you know, these side effects, it's like not really side effects. They're effects of the medications that we take. So they say it's a side effect to make it sound better to us so that we're more inclined to take it. But the reality is that those are effects. So holographic kinetics doesn't come with any of those negative side effects. It doesn't come with, you know, 
messing with your whole gut biome. It doesn't come with, you know, decreasing your bone density or weakening your immune system. So I really, really urge people to start there. And, you know, in the meantime, while you're doing that, I would just encourage you to look up like an anti-inflammatory diet. Start thinking about what you're eating. I think a lot of people are being geared towards eating high oxalate foods and don't even realize that, you know, oxalates are poisons in plants that help prevent them from being eaten. And, you know, foods like spinach, for example, or almonds are really touted as being these like superfoods in our society when in fact they have some of the highest levels of oxalates of any foods. And over time, you could start having effects from that. And like I did. And so, you know, things like that can impact our health as well. And we think we're doing good things for our bodies. And in fact, we're adding these poisons that our bodies are having to deal with. So I would look into at least Try decreasing your oxalates for time. See if that helps your inflammation and see if it helps the inflammation markers that your doctor's likely having you get labs for pretty regularly. So all you can do is try different things and see what resonates with you. Follow what resonates with you because your spirit will literally guide you through your intuition, through nudges, to everything that can help you. I mean, if you're listening to this and you're experiencing pericarditis, you're here for a reason. So my advice to you is try a session. Go into it with an open mind that it could help you shift things and know that, you know, changes take time to integrate. We don't know the outcome of any session. So just be patient, be open-minded. There are no guarantees, but if I had to do it again, that's where I would start because it could have saved me a lot of issues with having to take medications for other medications. The other thing is I would suggest is detoxing heavy metals from your body. We are all subjected to heavy metals all of the time. It used to be really routine for us to have mercury fillings put into our teeth for cavities. And luckily we're moving away from that, but there are a lot of people who still have those fillings. And, you know, I've learned since that Unfortunately, I went to a regular doctor to have a, my last two removed years back when I started connecting dots and thinking that maybe I had some issues with heavy metal poisoning. And, you know, they didn't really do it under conditions that you really should when you're removing mercury from someone's body and that who knows how much got released into my system. So you really want to go to like a holistic dentist who understands the gravity of the situation of having mercury fillings removed. But start moving towards that. Start moving towards, if you can, either having your mercury fillings removed or just detoxing heavy metals from your body. Advanced TRS, like I said, was a really kind of gentle way for me to do it. And I had a lot of success with that. I never got tested for metals before or after. So I can't give you specifics, but I just know that I felt better when I was taking it. And it's safe for even babies um, and kids. And it's flavorless, odorless. So it's really easy to just add it in. And that's where I would start. So I guess, you know, that's a lot of information. I'll leave it here. If you have questions or 
you want more information about holographic kinetics or you want to talk to me about my experiences because you yourself are going through pericarditis right now, reach out to me. I'm always happy to talk to people and help them on their path if I can. I think I've shared probably more than I expected to here on this episode, and I hope that when listened to in one felt swoop that it makes sense and <laughs> isn't just overwhelming with the information that I gave you. So my intention is that, you know, you will open your mind to other ways of healing and not just sit and let yourself have pericarditis recurring for 20 25 years because that's what some people in these groups are doing they're literally like oh I've had pericarditis for 20 years and they've just been going probably to the same doctor and taking the same medications and it's not working clearly so if that's you or you don't want that to be you in the future then I really suggest you looking for alternatives because You know, our doctors only know how to treat symptoms. They weren't taught to really look for the root cause of things. And the root cause of things can be locked away in our spirit. And you know what? In that case, it's really useful to have the Aboriginal knowledge that Steve Richards is sharing through holographic kinetics to help us unlock those useful keys to our experiences, So that's available to everyone, no matter where you're located. If you have a practitioner near you, that's great. If not, it's still worth having a surrogate session done by the team in Australia who is very experienced um, and work directly with the founder of Holographic Kinetics, Steve Richards. So, you know, seek out a session for yourself and then go from there. Just know anything can be changed. Anything can be healed. Don't think just because your doctors tell you that you're always going to have this and don't think just because other people have had it for 20 years that you yourself have to do that. I was able to kick it and, you know, there is no way that I was going to keep going to my same doctor, not getting answers and being on the same medications that were really affecting me negatively, you know, without researching and finding some other way. So if that's you, you found me on purpose. I'm so happy that you're here. I hope this information helps you. I'm sending you so much love on your journey. I know how difficult it is to move through the world with pericarditis. I know the pain of it physically. I know the mental anguish that it can cause when you just don't know what's causing it. And so you're scared to do anything. Hang in there. Keep going. You're needed here. Don't give up. You know, the truth is, is that Western medicine is not training doctors to really understand pericarditis, but they continue to just go and throw the same medications at it that are essentially decreasing people's immune system, which then lessens their immune system's ability to fight off actual infections that are causing the pericarditis or could be causing the pericarditis in the first place. So it's like our doctors don't actually have answers. They're saying it's idiopathic. And at the same time, they're just coming at it with these medications that they feel are definitively the answer. It doesn't make sense. So I hope that today's episode really pushes you beyond Western medicine, outside of the box, to sort of consider that, hey, maybe there's more to this. Maybe it's not just my body attacking itself. Maybe I have some underlying infection like Lyme disease or Rocky Mountain spotted fever. 
maybe, just maybe, I don't need my immune system to be reduced. Maybe I need it to be strengthened because my body is telling me something that, you know, there is something wrong. So I just really encourage you to listen to your body and to not take everything that your doctor says as the gospel because they are not really digging in my experience for answers. They just know how to treat symptoms. So, you know, for me personally, I couldn't live with having pericarditis for 20 years and being one of those people that was just like, oh yeah, you know, I take colchicine, I take prednisone, you know, this is just how it is. It is not how it has to be. Everything can be changed. But in my experience, you have to really have the desire to change, to heal in order to find the answers that could actually help you. So don't let your doctors not having answers stop you from seeking your own answers. Don't let, you know, one roadblock of a treatment not working stop you from seeking something that could help you. I know how hard of a struggle pericarditis is. I thought at one point that I was never going to get rid of pericarditis. It felt like it was just a constant in my life and it was so stressful considering that, that, you know, I really had to push hard to get through those days but I've come out the other side. If what you've been doing hasn't been working, seek something different. If the doctor that you're going to doesn't validate your concerns and doesn't listen to you, seek a new doctor. It is always within your right to seek more information outside of what your doctors are giving you. And it's always within your right to change doctors when the one that you're going to is not serving you. I wouldn't wish pericarditis on my worst enemy. It was one of the worst experiences of my life, especially because I wasn't really getting any answers and I just kept having these reoccurrences that had no rhyme or reason. So it just felt like everything I did could cause it, which made me really paranoid. And I would just urge anyone listening to this to not just do something when you know there's an increased risk of pericarditis associated with it, because I'll tell you, it's not easily treated, it is not easily cured, no matter what anyone tries to tell you. And the fact that 10% of people end up with reoccurrences says it all, because that's one out of 10. That's 10 out of 100 people. So think twice before you do things that put you at risk for this. It's no fun, as anyone with it will tell you. I hope you all are well, and I hope this message reaches those who need it. If you find yourself wanting to learn more about the work I do with Dreamtime Healing using holographic kinetics, or you want to book a session with me, head over to my website at healintobalance.com. Please stay tuned. Every Monday, I'll be uploading new episodes of this podcast. So subscribe and share it with anyone that you think would resonate with this message. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for listening.